the opportunity to just dive into God's word together. I I really cannot tell you how and I I love lecturing and I love studying God's word. <sighs> Scripture got so much more beautiful to me over these last few weeks that I I'm really amazed. I'm really thankful. And if hey, if that's if this if all of this is for me, that's great. Um, so just bear with me. Um, did everybody get an outline? We're not even going to get to the third point on the outline. Um, just just we're not going to. But I think after we've walked through um, the first seven verses of our text today, that verses eight through twelve will just flow naturally in your discussion in your small groups. So, very, very exciting. Um, All right. I'm a little overwhelmed um, because I know that the text that we are studying today um, has been abused and misused by Christians, and it has been used to pit men and women against each other. And man, that boils my blood. Like, there's, there's really, other than my own husband, um, there are very few things that get me more upset. Um, I just want to start here. As a rule for Bible readers, if you ever find yourself reading an explanation of a biblical text about a relationship, um, and you find yourself waging war against the opposite sex, or pointing the finger at either sex and saying, it's your fault, or if only men and women would do this, I'm going to beg you to walk away from those lies. They're not the gospel. Jesus never pits us against one another. And shame is never a part of the good news of grace. God is in the business of shalom. He is in the business of peace. Peace with him and peace with each other. And that peace is not burdensome nor does it ever detract or take away from the dignity of a person. We are image bearers. We are the ones who do that. (laughs) We are the ones who detract and try to take away from someone else's dignity. And praise God for his mercy who gently calls us out of such nonsense. I want to be very clear this morning that there is nothing, nothing in this passage that advocates for a wife or a husband to suffer unjust abuse or that these precious words give godly approval to a wife or a husband that stays in an abusive relationship and godly disapproval of a wife or husband who finds freedom from that relationship. These verses are not calling anyone into sin. And abuse is sin. One out of every three women experience domestic violence of some sort in their marriages, be that emotional, verbal, or physical abuse. That means we are sitting among abuse survivors, victims, and perpetrators. We are not sheltered from the brokenness of this world simply because we are in the church. And I want you to know that if you find yourself in that realm of circumstances, you are not alone. God has not abandoned you. You are a treasure, and you have every right to move towards freedom from harm. Assault is against the law. And we spent last week in discussion about submitting to the laws of our land. Also, side note, this lecture is not going to fix your marriage. (laughs) 
And I say that mainly to take the pressure off of myself. Um, But wow, this is an incredible dive into some powerful foundations for marriage. And I think it is an amazing starting place for moving towards a healthier and happier union. Yes. This is not, this lecture is not going to fix your marriage, but this is a great, a great foundational place to start. If you're, if you're in a place where you're like, man, we're drowning. Okay. This is a beautiful word from the Lord. And I want you to get excited. I want you to even get teary eyed about what you're about to hear about marriage. It is glorious and powerful and it is just lovely. So let's read our text. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let me pray for us. Jesus, your word is rich and true. And its purpose is to bring light into the darkness. Would you open our ears and our hearts and our eyes and our souls to the beauty of your word? And would your spirit be present with us today? And would, it, would we be changed? And would we be equipped Um, to be a blessing for this world. We ask all of this in your name. Amen. Okay, I don't know if you know this about me, but I love a female vocalist, and I would love to be able to sing um, like Kelly Clarkson or Indina Menzel or Demi Lovato or Bonnie Raitt or Ariana Grande or Julie Andrews. Um, Casey Musgraves, Maggie Rogers, like these, Celine Dion, I'm so mad I didn't go to her concert. Um, These incredible, beautiful voices, just like they pierce me. I mean, it's just amazing that these women have this talent. Um, And I like men's voices too, but like really female vocalists, like love it. Okay. Um, I would listen to them. I would listen to these women sing anything. I mean, the alphabet song, like anything. I would listen to them sing anything. That is what Jesus wants for your marriage. He wants it to sing a beautiful song of love and mercy and grace. And he wants others who are around your marriage to be saying, what is that? I want that. I would, I would do anything for that kind of love. Wow. That is amazing. He wants my marriage and your marriage to be so beautiful that it blesses this world, that the world literally changes for the better because of it. 
And marriage, God's design for marriage, does just that. We don't do that. God's design for marriage does that. Peter knows that the gospel can change people in such a way that the effects of the fall, or what we call just the sin and brokenness of this world, can start to be acknowledged, understood, and ultimately pushed back. People become a blessing to this world the way that they were supposed to be. Not fully, because Jesus hasn't brought heaven down to earth yet, but we get to participate in the reality that we are getting closer to that day. Last week, Christina taught us that the gospel gives us the power to do that in our relationships with the state and governing authorities and with the authority we submit to in our um, everyday work lives. And here, Peter addresses the very ordinary, real, common relationship of marriage. Everybody here is a product of a union, right? Couldn't be here without a man and a woman coming together. Um, so this is a very real part of our everyday life. So how, do the, how does the gospel change our marriages into ones that sing? Peter gets right to it by instructing the two parties involved. Who's involved in a marriage? A wife and a husband. He begins with the wife, so we will too. How does the gospel change a wife? I'm asserting from our text that the gospel changes wives by giving them three things. The freedom to love without fear, the freedom to know their worth, and the freedom to engage and follow. So let's just get started with the freedom to love without fear. Newly converted first century wives. Remember, Peter's in the first century. He's talking to first century people all over, um, <clears throat> like Turkey and Asia, um, would be seen in rebellion if they were practicing a different faith than their husbands. So if a husband came home and said, I'm a Christian, his family would just follow suit. If a wife came home and said, I'm a Christian, I'm following Jesus now, she could incur punishment by the state. It wasn't this like, hey, I'm going to do this, you're going to do this. It was really seen as rebellion by a lot of people. If you practice a different faith than your, um, than your husband, what kind of anxiety and fear do you think that that might produce in a wife? Hey, you like your life? You love your children? Like what you got going on here? If you're seen in rebellion to your husband, all of that can be taken away. Peter's words here calm a wife's heart and direct her actions. A Christian's wife's act, a Christian wife's actions become primarily about serving King Jesus. And in that frame of mind, fear and its attributes in a, in a woman's life can melt away and you can find freedom to love very, very well. Why, uh, Doriani and Ferguson, um, Dan Doriani and Sinclair Ferguson, um, who I used to help me study this passage, both make the point that you cannot nag anyone into the kingdom of God. <laughs> Um, but what you can do is let them see your love for God displayed in your own life. Um, when wives, when you love your husbands well for the sake of Jesus, you are tangibly showing them how much they matter to God. When you honor your husband with your faithfulness, with your respect, and with mercy and forgiveness, you are giving them a real-life picture of who Jesus is, someone who never lets go, gives up, or stops loving. But here's the thing. You won't be able to love and honor your husband if you do not know your own worth in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the only thing 
um, the only person, the only God who gives us the freedom to know exactly how valuable we are. So the gospel also changes wives in that it gives them the freedom to know their own worth. I've got three little vignettes about my own life that I want to give you, and we're moving into verse 3 and 4 here if you're curious. Um, I have the most vivid memory of my mom and dad getting ready to go um, see Cats at the Fox Theater in the 80s in St. Louis. That's where I grew up. And, I mean, 80s fashion could not be more awesome. (laughs) But my mother had this um, gold, um, I think it's LeMay. It's like a a thin, almost metallic fabric. She had this gold lame dress and these gold high heels that matched the dress. And she, honest to God, was the most beautiful thing that I had ever seen when she was dressed up for this evening. And my dad was in the tuxedo, and it was just like, y'all are Prince Charles and Princess Diana. I mean, like, <laughs> that. It, I just have this... this Her beauty blew me away. Second vignette. I have a strand of pearls that my aunt has built for me since I was born. And I have a pair of diamond earrings that my mother, I think, sold her soul to the devil for to give me. (laughs) And they are two of the most precious things I own. And I love them. And if something happened to them... I would be crushed. They are expensive. They are insured. Like, they are meaningful to me. I'm not sure that any of my kids are actually getting these pearls. I think if there's a granddaughter named after me, that's a possibility. But, like, (laughs) it's a very real scenario that I'm just buried in them. Okay? Like, I love them. They are mine. You'll see me in them on Sundays. I love them. Third little vignette. I have four of the most beautiful creatures living under my roof. The physical beauty of my daughters leaves me breathless sometimes. And it just blows me away that I get to watch them grow. Like, just sometimes when, like, even the ones that you're like, I don't know, she's pretty good one. Like, the light will just catch her, and you're just like, oh, my gosh, you are stunning. You're stunning. All right. How do I reconcile these precious gifts in my life with Peter's words here in verses 3 and 4, which are, uh, let's go back, sorry. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. I want to challenge us here that these words are not an invitation to throw out your grandmother's diamond earrings. If you want to, throw them my way. Um, Nor are they a forbiddance of mascara or getting your hair done, which I'm getting done on Friday, and I'm so excited. This is not Peter telling you that the physical world and the spiritual world are two different spheres. We are not Song of Solomon people one day and Gnostics the next. All right? Our physical bodies matter. Our physical beauty matters. God made you. He knit you together. He knows exactly how you look. That's exactly how he wants you to look. 
They juxtapose, what they do is they juxtapose the requirements of ancient and Roman gods and the idols of Roman society to show Peter's readers that a woman, for a woman in Christ, her status is secure. Your status in God's kingdom is secure, regardless of your beauty, your power, your wealth, which were all like real requirements for pagan worship in the first century. A gentle and quiet spirit is not a doormat. It is actually a person who knows their status and is free in that status. Someone who works and longs for peace. It is the fruit of the Holy Spirit for all who have Christ dwelling with them. Gentleness and quietness is not a female trait. It is a Christian trait. It's called, men are called to gentleness and quietness just as much as women are. This is why the words gentleman and gentlewoman flow out of its root. There's a sense of station and place that a gentle spirit understands and can therefore enter into relationship and culture with reason and dignity. You're basically Queen Elizabeth, okay? You don't see Queen Elizabeth wasting her time. Like, she knows where she needs to enter and where she, need, where she can, you know, pull back. Um, And what is our status? As women in God's kingdom, we are part of a royal priesthood. We are co-heirs with Christ. And as as Peter will expound on in a moment. And if our status as heiress is secured by the death and resurrection of King Jesus, then why would our hearts ever be tempted to believe that we are not beautiful, valuable creatures whose physical bodies and souls matter deeply? Now Now with this truth... We are free to steward both our bodies and our hearts. So exercise, eat well, take care of yourself, read your Bible, study the Word of God, and know that your Heavenly Father looks at you with the same eyes I have for my daughters. You are shockingly beautiful to Him, daughter of the King. So when you know your worth, you are now free to abandon your insecurities that keep you from loving And pour out love to others. And here it's husbands. But like, this frees all of us. Side note, I was laughing with Katie when she called me to um, see if we could switch this off. It was Monday night. We went to a uh, black tie event that our friends invited us to. It was so much fun. Um, But I was getting ready to go. And I was telling, laughing with her, like, this passage is so good. Like, it's just ringing true in my ears. Because generally in February, I told Katie, like, this is when I am my most swollen, um, and I find I found myself feeding lies to myself as I got ready for this event. I had a beautiful dress with a husband who loves me. We're going to have a great time. And all I could worry about and spend my energy on was like, this is not really how I want to look tonight. What a waste of time. I looked amazing. <laughs> But how long can those insecurities keep me in a place where I am wasting time and energy when I could be loving someone else for something greater than myself? So when you know that when you know your worth, when you know that you are an heiress, a daughter of the king, that your physical body and your soul are prized equally by God. Don't you long to give others the same security and honor you have? Can you think about how that attitude might bless your husband, but also the watching world? 
which quite possibly could include your children. So now we know our worth, and we are loving big and freely because we're not afraid. What might happen in our marriages? I think we will find ourselves in a marriage where we find freedom to engage and follow. And this is coming out of verse 5 and 6. So now we have this like quick mention of Sarah, which seems really random of all the women in the Bible. Maybe not who I would have picked on the marriage passage, but like, you know, nobody asked me. Um, So you have Sarah, who's Abraham's wife from the Old Testament. And when you do a little digging, cross-referencing, you're transported back to this narrative in Genesis 18 when Sarah and Abraham hear from God that they're going to have a son. All right, what you need to know is that they are super old. And God had promised this son to them, but they are so, 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 so old. Um, (laughs) Not like crypt keeper old, but like so close. Um, They are physically well past the, the time of being able to produce a child in all the ways that you would need to be able to produce a child. Okay? I'm 40. I'm tired now. All right? I can't imagine how tired I'm going to be when I'm 90 plus years old, if I get that far. Now, here's the gospel. Abraham and Sarah know the promises that God has made, and they know their status is secure, and now they find themselves at this juncture of faith and trust. This calling to have a child and this, this statement that, like, I'm going to give you a child, it's a mutual mission. It's a mutual mission that Sarah and Abraham are both required for. There's no Isaac without Sarah. Abraham cannot do this by himself. There's no Isaac without Sarah. Um, What we are pointed to is how Sarah responds, okay? And I'm not going to read this narrative. I encourage you to go back and read it. It's Genesis 18. Sarah is doubtful. (laughs) She is skeptical. Um, She is afraid. She is cynical. And yet she follows the Lord by honoring her husband and serving the Lord with him, which in this case is literally doing what it needs to doing what needs to be done to make a baby at 90. It's gross. I, I want you to take it in. I want you to take it. That's the picture we're given here. I want you to take it in. But why does Peter want his readers <clears throat> who would be well versed in the Old Testament narrative to think about Sarah? What did the Lord promise that Abraham would be? The father of many nations, a blessing to the nations. Their marriage was essential to the work of the kingdom. Sarah honors God by honoring her husband and engaging with him in the work of the kingdom. And what does Peter call us? Peter proclaims, we are Sarah's daughters. God is good and faithful, and when a wife honors her husband and longs to see him even more honored than herself, that marriage becomes a blessing, and it's beautiful. It is a mutual mission for the kingdom. Okay, enough about wives, right? Let's stick it to the men. Okay. Um, (coughs) You think I'm kidding. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson, in a language I appreciate very much, exclaims that in one sentence, Peter goes for the jugular of Christian husbands. One sentence that packs a powerful, powerful punch. Wives get six verses, men get one. You've got to be kidding me, right? Come on. No. It's big. It's huge. 
I actually feel sorry for him. Um, <clears throat> so how does the gospel change a husband? All right, what freedoms do husbands now possess through Jesus that might bless their wives and also those around their marriages? And I think there are three. First of all, husbands are given the freedom to know and understand. Um, does your husband know you? Does he know your Enneagram number? Um, does he know your likes, your dislikes, your favorite things? Could he make you laugh because he knows what you find funny? Does he know your dreams? Does he know your fears? Is he a generous and patient lover? Does he pine for you? Is intimacy on his schedule or is it a shared schedule because he longs to connect deeply with you? Is he a true partner? Does he bear your burdens with you? Does he treat you with kindness and compassion and trust and dignity? And does this knowing and understanding of you give him joy? All of these things are wrapped up in this small, powerful phrase. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Husbands in Christ get the glorious privilege of knowing a woman. They are offered the opportunity to understand and cherish the only other creature on earth who bears their likeness and yet is different. There is a wholeness to the word understanding that Peter uses here. It is not a, a word that should derive any hint of condensation, condensation, a condes <laughs> condescension or pity. <clears throat> On the contrary, it is the believing husband's job to know every way possible to love his wife. Why? Because this is how Christ loves the church, giving up all the glories of heaven itself to come and rescue his bride. The gospel gives us the truth that Jesus knowing his church, his bride, inside and out, in all of her unfaithfulness to him, heads straight to Calvary to ransom his bride. This is what husbands are supposed to display to the watching world. And Lord help them. <clears throat> husbands who know and understand how much Jesus cares for them will be husbands who long to know and understand their wives for the chief purpose of loving them well. It brings glory to God when a husband loves his wife well. Can you think of what a blessing, of who that is a blessing to? A wife, certainly, but children, friends, co-workers, anyone who has connection to this couple. Do you know what it is going to mean to me? To see four men love my daughters well, like They are, I would give my life for them, right? I would give my life for that. Because they will show their wives, they will show my girls, this is how Jesus loves you. This can change the world, y'all. This can change the world. Husbands also find a freedom to honor in the same line, we are presented with another deep well of meaning in the phrase, showing honor to the woman is the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. I don't think there is a verse that has become more beautiful and sacred to me than this one in this study. I have been blown away by God's incredible design here. So generally, for sure, we can probably say that most men are physically stronger than most women. 
but it doesn't take too much to start heading down um, that very subjective road, right? And I don't, and I think it's a good opportunity to recognize that maybe our scholarship might be a little weak and lazy if that's where we stay. Okay, I mean, my husband has a seminary degree. I have a seminary degree. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but I ran a marathon. <laughs> Let me tell you who could not run a marathon. <laughs> Ryan Moore. He literally has two degenerative discs in his back. Like, he can't do it. He cannot physically do it. It would wreck him. Um, I've given birth to four babies. Also something my husband could not endure. Um, my body has done a lot of things that my husband's can't. So what kind of strength are we talking about here? Right? Do you see? Don't pit yourself against each other. That's not what scripture wants for us. Pitting ourselves against each other or bowing up to see like who's better, who's more valuable. No, no. We're all pretty. That's what, you know, look at my girl. You're all pretty girls. Just relax. Um, you know, when they're fighting, um, Okay, think about what task we just read was given to husbands, to know and understand their wives fully, right? What position does that put a wife in? I would say a very, very vulnerable position, okay? The intimacy that is required by marriage places a wife, not just in the first century, but, you know, February 19th, 2020, in any day and age, in a place where it is almost too easy to wound. Too easy to wound. Who can hurt me the most? Who knows all of my strengths and all of my weaknesses? Ryan Moore does. More of them than y'all will ever know. (laughs) Um, He could demolish me. And what is the Lord's direction to husbands? She is a precious vessel. There's even an element of the physical nature of a woman's body. Like just, again, these are generalizations for marriage. These are big picture, big picture foundational principles. A woman carries a baby. Another very vulnerable, vulnerable position that a woman puts herself in. When her body's got to do, and also that weird kind of like down the rabbit hole of like, well, who's stronger? I can make a person. Um, You know, like, you put yourself in this position of extreme vulnerability when you're carrying a baby. And God gives, in marriage, gives you a protector. Right? Who else is going to do it? Not your other kids, that's for sure. Um, The Lord's direction to a husband is to honor your wife. She is this precious vessel. I want you to think about Waterford Crystal here. She is a meaningful, valuable treasure to you. She is a gift. And not only that, but she is your co-heir in grace. She's your co-heir in grace. There's not going to be marriage in heaven. It's going to be amazing. (laughs) You know, sometimes I'm like, oh, we won't be together. And then I'm like, oh, we won't be together. (laughs) You know, that that kind of, whatever. Okay, um. You are a co-heir with your husband, a co-heir of grace. There is no, there's no value scale here. You're both incredibly treasured by God. Jesus died for both of you. You are no more, no less than your husband. 
and he is to treasure you. And in doing that, he honors the Lord. He honors the Lord. I mean, kind of coming back to this vulnerability, um, and not to be too graphic, but even the posture of a wife in intimacy um, displays this vulnerability, right? There's a purpose to that, okay? Um, This is something that a husband is to uphold with faithfulness and dignity, and the abuse of this directive has severe consequences, severe consequences. Let's look at the end of verse 7. What does it say? Honor your wife. Honor your wife as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. The gospel gives husbands the freedom to have peace with God. When you, when a Christian husband understands and knows his wife and loves her well and honors her, and they create a life of mutual service to the king, there is peace with God. It is good. But when that role is abused and mistreated, and when a wife is neglected and dishonored, a husband's prayers are not heard by God. There is no peace with God. And I would go so far as to say, and I might be pushing here, that the reason Peter places such an emphasis on your relationship with God being connected to how you treat your wife is because there might be an element of, do you know Jesus? The way that you're treating me makes me kind of think you don't know Jesus, that you don't have his peace, that you don't know how loved you are, that you don't know how valuable you are, that you don't know how incredible you are, that you don't know that he died for you. Why would you believe that I'm created in the image of God and then dishonor me with unfaithfulness? with jabs, with passive-aggressive BS. Do you know Jesus? That's not how my king treats his daughters. It should level our husbands. I really, I mean, I feel for him. I'll take the first six verses, thanks. (laughs) Gentle and quiet spirit. Yes. (laughs) You know, like, let's kind of switch our view here. Like, oh my gosh, they are called to a massive task. But how good is the Lord? How faithful is the Lord? I was reading this morning, and I'm going to close with this. Um, I'm a part of this little Facebook group where we discuss um, marriage and different views of marriage and complementarianism and egalitarianism and all that stuff. It's kind of obnoxious, but I'm, I like it nonetheless. Um, a woman wrote in today on her post. It was like so timely. She's like, I just want to encourage y'all with this. <clears throat> we just had our fourth baby. And here's what God can do. 
so she and her husband were both raised in a tradition that made her less valuable than he was and made his needs and wants paramount in their marriage. So she suffered from extreme postpartum depression after all three of her first, her first three children were born because of the way that her husband abused her in those situations. And God came in, God moved, God worked, the light shone in the darkness, and his eyes were open to the way that he had been misusing and mistreating his wife. And her eyes were open to the way that she had abused scripture and let herself be just totally um, demolished. She thought she was doing that for Jesus. She was not. Um, and so they just had their fourth baby. And she sent in a, a screenshot of some text messages from her husband. And she had written her husband and she's, you know, just like normal things like, oh, so-and-so's got a snotty nose and the baby won't sleep and I'm just feeling really overwhelmed and I can't, you know, I just, I'm just tired. And her husband wrote back, that has to be so hard. You're having a harder day than I am. I'm looking forward to getting home so I can help you and I want you to know how precious you are to me. Thank you for loving our children and me so well. That was his response. <laughs> Think about the way their children are going to be changed. <laughs> Think about the way even her heart is changed toward God. When you are loved well, when you are honored, when you are respected, when it is this mutual mission for God's kingdom, that can change the world. It is a blessing. A blessing. It is a blessing. Uh, don't disregard it. It is worth the hard work. God is with you. You are not alone. He has not abandoned you. He's not abandoned your marriage. There is nothing irredeemable. Um, big, God can do big things. So I just want to encourage y'all with that. Um, I hope that this has been, um, I hope this has just flipped some things on their head for y'all. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your design of marriage for the way that it is meant to be a blessing to this world. Lord, would you be with us all um, who are married and unmarried? Would we see the truths of your gospel in uh, these words to husbands and wives? Uh, would we no longer be nervous or ashamed or afraid of these words, but would we profess them proudly that you are a God who loves his people and who longs to see his people love each other well and in turn be a blessing to others? Would we be vessels and agents of peace and hope? <sighs> Father, would you move and work in us to grow your kingdom? Would the mercy we put on display here be attractive to other people? And would light come into dark places? We pray all this in your name. Amen.